Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. And uh, wherever you're coming from, whether you're in Montgomeryville watching us or online or here, uh, if you weren't here last week, we started a new series in this new year um, called Are You Ready to Die? It sounds pretty heavy and it's meant to be. And the reason is, is uh, life is, is very fleeting, the Bible says. It's fleeting. Like last week, I, I tried to establish time. Time is precious and priceless, period. You, know, you, you, you have to spend it. You can't save it. And uh, you can choose to invest it or you can waste it. And for me, I evaluated my time, or I'm trying to, and I waste a lot of it. Anybody else? I don't spend enough time thinking about time and eternity. Even though I, I know where I'm going to go when I, when I die, I think I miss a lot of the, the momentary time that, that I have. And so scripture says to make the most of every opportunity. Remember we read that in Ephesians. Make the most. Don't, don't live as an unwise person for the days are evil. There's too many people who get to the end of their life and think I should have done more with my, my life. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to focus um, on particular or um, specific areas of our life that I think if you, you need to make tweaks in, you, you, maybe some changes. So next week, we're going to take a look at um, are you holding on to grudges, how to live a life uh, grudge-free. Being unforgiving and being angry is one of the biggest wastes of a life that you can have. Anybody else agree with me? Okay, some of you are like, I'm not coming next week. Because I don't want to hear a message about forgiving the person that I hate. I don't know how to not hate them. They deserve my hate. And here's my little, my little, my little uh, advertising for you. That, that emotion is, is your prison. That's your prison. They're, some of them are dead. Let's just be honest. I've been there when you, you've been talking to somebody. They're, they're mad at somebody who's dead as if your, your anger is still affecting them. It's only affecting you. And so I want to talk to you about it because I think it's a huge waste of, of a life. Uh, the week after that, we're going to talk about focusing on what really matters. I'm going to teach you to evaluate um, through eternity and temporary. I want, to, I want to take you through that. The last week, some people in here, God's calling you to something that's terrifying, and the title of the message is just going to be Go For It. Um, but today, I want to start with something um, that I, I'm going to be honest with you, I am awful at. And so, and maybe, maybe when you hear this message, you'll, you'll, you'll find yourself in this message as well. The title of my message today is Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Everybody look at your neighbor, pick a neighbor. You didn't get picked, and so that stinks, right? Some of you looked, the person looked the other way, you feel bad about yourself. Let go of the grudge, right? And so, some of you sitting by your spouse, they look the opposite way, right? You're like, I got to get to marriage class. And so, and just look at them and say, don't sweat the small stuff. Now, if you don't know the person beside you, introduce yourself. It's church. Be kind. And tell them, don't sweat the small stuff. Now, listen. As I got ready to prepare for this message, it was evident that I sweat the small stuff. 
I do my message on Tuesday. Tuesday is when I always prepare for my message if the week is normal. And so Tuesday morning I get up, go through my routine, and uh, on the way to work every Tuesday morning I, I get coffee. I don't get coffee every day because uh, I took Dave Ramsey one time and it's a huge waste of money. But I do but I do get coffee about once or twice a week. And so it's a reward for what I'm about to have to do sitting in a room by myself for eight hours. And so um, I usually go to Dunkin' Donuts or I go to Wawa. And so uh, to this day, I went to Wawa. I stopped at Wawa. I got a coffee. It came out. I, I, as I'm walking out to my car, my cup is malfunctioning. You ever been there? And the coffee is jumping out of the cup all over my shirt. Now, I'm very particular about my clothes. I don't want stains. I don't, when, when the oil stain Come, gets on my clothes out of, the, out of the washer, it literally will ruin my entire month. And so, like, so there's jumping out, it's getting all over me, I'm yelling, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, I'm on the way to preach about don't sweat the small stuff, and I'm in the parking lot, I'm freaking out, I'm cursing, wow, wow, I should have went to Dunkin' Donuts. Then I get in the car, I stick it in my, in my cup holder. Now, I have three, three children, and so how many of you know my car is not super clean? But it's in my cup holder, and as I'm driving, that cup is still malfunctioning, and every bump that I hit, what's happening? The coffee is jumping out of my cup and going all over my console. I hit the brakes all over my console. Somebody cuts me off all over my console. In the three-minute drive from Wawa until the church, I had to turn on altar music and get resaved. <laughs> I opened up my computer. I look at my notes that I had started to prepare the day before, and I realize, oh, yeah, you're an idiot. Don't sweat the small stuff. As I started to study, I, I stumbled upon this, this, these articles from this book that's actually entitled, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. The second part of the title is, and it's all small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. It's all, it's all, it's all small stuff. It's written by a psychologist. His name is Richard Carlson. And uh, he came up with the idea one day sitting in traffic. How many of you know traffic is not a small thing? <laughs> He's sitting in traffic on the way to San Francisco, him and his daughter. They're in 45 minutes standby, standstill, bumper to bumper traffic, a.k.a. hell. <laughs> his daughter and him are in the car. They're getting a little bit, you know, restless. They turn around and they look at the faces of people all around them. They don't see joy they don't see contentment. They don't see relaxation. What do they see? They see anger. They see anxiety. He starts to think, why do we all have so much anxiety? Is it because we're late for an appointment? Is it because we're, 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 we're missing you know, work? Is it, is it because we're having to think about our own family problems? Why are we all stressed out? And then he came up with this thought, why are we so stressed out about small things? Because really what we're most stressed out about the majority of the time is just small things. I, I, I continued to study and I came across this, this, this other teacher that was uh, wanting to teach his students about small things. Life and small things. See, so I held up a glass with some water in it. And he said, how many ounces are in this, this cup? Anybody have a guess how many ounces are in this cup? Come on, you can yell. It's church. We're Pentecostal. Six, nine, twelve, eight. It's good it's not a competition, right? And so... Um, all of us have guesses. So same thing happened in the classroom. Everybody has different guests. And uh, then he made this point. He said, it uh, doesn't really matter how much is in the glass. That's not the point of this illustration. But good guess, he said. Um, he said, if I try to hold this glass, doesn't matter if it has 8, 10 ounces, 12 ounces, for a few moments, it's pretty easy. He said, if I try to hold this glass like this for an hour, my arm will start to cramp and shake. If I try to go for longer than that, 
Eventually, I'll do so much damage to my, my arm, you'll have to call an ambulance to take me to the hospital. He said, in life, you get poured glasses like this, asked to hold situations. All right? Like, think, think about it. Traffic. I mean, I, I started thinking about all the areas of my life that make me mad. I had a long list. That irritate me, that have ruined my day, that have caused me to get in fights with my spouse or my, my kids, that have caused me to be in a bad mood when I got to work. Like, traffic is just one of them. Bad weather makes me mad. Anybody else? Other people's opinions of me, unexpected delays, um, techno- technological glitches. If I put on Netflix and it don't work, it'll ruin my entire day. Why isn't it on the right network? Um, stains on my clothes, unexpected change in plans. When I send somebody a text message or an email and they don't get back with me, it makes me mad, though I have about 700 unread text messages on my phone right now. But if you do it to me, it makes me mad. Clutter in my house. If something breaks, um, when I hold the door for somebody and they don't say thank you, I'm going to be honest with you, I just want to slam it in their back. (laughs) Right? I'll pray for them when they're done. People complain, being interrupted, temporary setbacks. I mean, I... Anybody else, list can go on and on. And I tried, I tried to like, okay, God, what are the four or five that are good ones? And the point is, every one of those is a small thing. Um, the power of that small thing, it, it, it's connected to how long I decide to hold on to it. And I think a lot of us struggle with moving through annoyances. We, we struggle with moving through setbacks. We struggle with moving through Day to day, oh man, that didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. Or that person said this about me. Or they looked at me the wrong way. Or that family member said this. And we tend to allow the small things to actually become the big things. I was thinking about how I could uh, connect this to Scripture. And uh, I actually stumbled upon a story um, as I was looking through my, my, my past sermons. And do I have anything on this? And studying online and and for the very first time, because the Bible is active, the Bible, it's alive, it's, it, it, it's constantly changed, like, it doesn't change, but what you see changes, right? And so you can read a story 20 times and see 20 different things. And so for, for the very first time in my life, I went back to the, the sto- this story that I've preached on many times that, that I actually have a lot of sermons on, but I saw something different, I actually saw myself in the story. And I, I think a lot of you, maybe if you're like me, you let a lot of things, some of you are super calm, right? You're like, this is fine, right? Like, everything's good. Somebody cuts you off. You're like, Jesus loves you, right? And so for you really mature people in this room, this message is going to be, you're going to be like, what's wrong with you? I'm not going to come to this church anymore. I didn't know you were so immature, right? But for the normal people in here, this message is going to be really, like, you're going to find yourself in this story. So it's a story about a woman in the Bible, that's actually friends with Jesus. Like she has a relationship with, with Jesus and we know she's close with Jesus because she's willing to show her real self to Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have a church version and you have a house version. Am I right or wrong? There's things you're like, I shouldn't do that when people are watching, but then when people you're close to are watching, you're like, they get what they get and they can't throw a fit, right? And so I'm working on it. And she's not a typical like church person where she has two different people. Like she is close enough with Jesus where she allows Jesus to see the humanity side of her. 
So I want to show you this story because I see myself so much in her reaction and her justification. And what happens is Jesus is trying to teach her, you're letting the small things get in the way of the, of the big thing. Watch what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, everybody say Martha. Okay, I want you to remember this. Martha opened up her home to him. Jesus shows up. And she goes to Martha's house. She's going to cook for him. She had a sister called Mary. Everybody say Mary. Okay. So what was Mary's sister's name? Okay. Martha and Mary. Okay. And so uh, if you ever hear a preacher preach on these, this family, he'll say uh, Mary and Martha. It's easier to sound. But if you read the story, who's the first character in the story? Martha. Martha and Mary. Whose house are they at? Okay. We're tr tracking with me. All right. So Jesus comes to Martha's house. This is Martha's moment. This is Martha's opportunity to entertain Jesus, and Mary in her, interjects herself into the story. The Bible says she has a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha is hosting Jesus. What's Mary doing? She's just hanging out. Now let me ask you something, and this might be reading too much into Scripture. Was Mary invited? I don't know. It seems like she just showed up. It seems like she just arrived. I don't know if Martha invited her over, but listen, if I'm Martha and I know Mary, I'm not inviting Mary over because she's another mouth to feed. She's getting in the way of me having the full experience with Jesus, right? The Bible says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I'm like, yeah, duh. You have Jesus in your house. There's so much stuff that has to be done. I got to straighten stuff out. We got to clean. You got to yell at the kids. Be good, right? Like, don't touch stuff. You ever been to when you have somebody important coming over your house and you clean everything up and then your kids try to use it before they get there? I'd be like, don't use that bathroom. Why? I'm like, we have people coming over. Martha's freaking out. I see myself in Martha, right? The Bible says that Martha freaks out. She was distracted. She comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, you can just see her with her hands on her hips. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But you notice there's an exclamation point, so how do you think it sounded? I think she was like, can you tell her to help me, Jesus? She's mad. You need to tell her to help me feed you, Jesus. This is not okay. The Bible says that Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Anytime he uses your name twice, you're in trouble. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. I want you to highlight that. You are worried and you are upset about many things. But maybe your problem is that you're not aware that just a few things are needed. And indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. He puts her into place. He says, it is not going to be taken away from her. Now let me just give you what I called, uh, I couldn't think of a better name for it, some sweaty truths. Let me give you three don't sweat the small things truths, okay? Number one is this. This, one, this one's important. In the middle of a miracle, right, in the middle of a miracle, you will always have the opportunity to get fixated on a Mary. In the middle of a miracle, now, let me just, let's just, let's just talk about Martha for a second. So some of you are Bible people, you know how long Jesus was on the earth, others of you have no idea, and so just so we're all on the same page, Jesus was on this earth for 33 years. He only spent three years in earthly ministry, so three years. He did all that we read about, 
in the Bible, in the Gospels, he accomplished it in three years. Did miracles, died on the cross, came back from the dead, started the church, Holy Spirit came, the rest is history. So everything he does, he does with purpose, he does with meaning, he, he does for a reason. And so Jesus, in the middle of those three years, that he only has three years, time is short, he takes time out of his busy schedule to come over to Martha's house and eat. Jesus is God. Martha has the opportunity to host God in her house for, some, for a potluck, for some, for some roast, right? Like it, this is the, one of the most amazing things that has ever happened in her life. I would call it a miracle. And the problem is, uh, Albert Einstein said it one time, it's, I've, I've always loved this quote, he said, um, you can live your life one of, one of two ways, as if everything is a miracle or as if nothing is a miracle. You can look at life, everything is a miracle. So let me just, let me just, you got married and that is a miracle that anybody would marry you. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? You're not as big of a catch as you think you are. Some of you have been married for more than 10 years. Is that a miracle? Some of you have made it through. Man, times when you were, you were almost divorced, like on the brink of divorce, like you were going to be separated, and Jesus stepped into your life, and he healed you and healed your marriage. Is that a miracle? Okay. Is it a miracle? Let me just step back. Some of you have kids. When's the last time you looked at your kids and you're like, that's a miracle? That's a pain in the butt right there. That's a bill. The fact that God would entrust you with the person that before the foundations of the world that he was creating and crafting, and he entrusts you with their life, is that a miracle? Okay. Some of you, the fact that you even are able to breathe right now and live, and you haven't died from the way that you've eaten and exercised, and God still wakes you up in the morning, can we just, can we just call it what it is? I'm a walking, talking miracle. The career you have, you go to work, the fact that you have the brain that you have and the ability that you have to do the job that God has called you to do, what are we going to call that? That's a miracle. You're not that smart. It's a miracle. When I walk up on this stage and anything of value ever comes out of my mouth, because it's not all valuable, let's be honest. But anything of value comes out of my mouth, knowing where I've been, what I've done, how much I didn't go to college, how many times I skipped chapel, and God's used my life as a 44-year-old man. Come on, what is that? What I, I, that's a miracle. Everything about my life is a, is, is a miracle. This is a miracle moment in Martha's life. Jesus, the God, the creator, the one who's going to die for the sins, has walked into her house and is having a meal with her. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And instead of her taking it in and focusing on it and saying, man, this is a miracle, instead of you looking at your spouse and saying, this is a miracle, your kids, this is a miracle, my job, this is a miracle, the fact that I'm breathing, this is a miracle, the fact that you're allowed to walk into this church this morning with all you've done, all the mistakes, all the words that come out of your mouth, all the sins you've committed in secret this week, the fact that God lets you come into this place and he doesn't hit you with a lightning bolt today. What is that? Myself included. And in the midst of a miracle, Martha's pissed off at a Mary. Jesus, I know you're here. This is amazing. This life, this opportunity. 
but I need you to handle this situation for me. I, I need you to talk to Mary. The Bible even tells us in verse number uh, 39, it says she had a sister called Mary. Now, if your name is Mary, and we had a Mary first service, I'm about to do something with your name, but it's not supposed to be offensive, okay? So if you're Mary here, I, I, I'm going I'm to use your name for a second. You're not the new Karen, right? We're not doing that to you. It just came to me in my preparation, so don't get mad at me. The Marian first service said, I'm not offended. I'm not allowed to be offended. You told me that today. And so, uh, Mary, ready? Here's, here's an acronym for Mary. You ready? Many or many, whatever word you want, I can only have one, many annoyances ruining years. In the midst of a miracle, you will always have an opportunity for a Mary, a many annoyance to ruin time or years in your life. Like I said, if you're a Mary, I'm sorry for what I just did to you. But I want you to, you are always going to have the opportunity. There's going to be so many Marys in your midst all of the time. For me, every Sunday, there's Marys all over the place, right? And it's not just people in the church. Every Sunday, something breaks. Every Sunday, something doesn't work out the way that it's supposed to work out. It needs to be perfect. The lights need to come up here. The video needs to play here. My mic needs to sound right. The band needs to play this. And every Sunday, without fail, Mary's interject themselves into my Sunday. And if I'm not careful, if I'm be honest with you, I allow Mary's to ruin the miracle. By the time I get up here, I'm so mad at all the things that didn't work that I forget that the miraculous power of God is about to move in this place. Happened for years over Christmas. You can ask people. I used to be so miserable at Christmas time. Nothing's working. Lights aren't working. Snow machine not working. Nothing's working. We can't talk about Jesus in the manger. We don't have a snow machine tonight. <laughs> hey, first Sunday of the year, what's it going to do? It's going to snow, right? That's a Mary in my life. Snow Monday through Friday. Don't ruin God's day. There's Marys in the church. People Marys all the time. People are like, yeah, you're annoying, right? Am I, am I right or wrong? The Bible doesn't say you got to like everyone. It says you got to love people. Sometimes you love people from far away from them. Everywhere you turn, if you're not careful, there's Marys in your life. So I want you to remember this. I read this years ago. You probably heard it if you've been online. Um, but it was such a good illustration about uh, not allowing annoyances or small things or things to ruin your day. It said... Uh, Let's say somebody comes to you and gives you $86,400. $86, How many of you would like that? Okay, nobody in this room is turning that down. I will take that. You have that? You want to be, you want to, I'll take it. And so $86,400 puts it in a bank account for you. You didn't earn it. They gave it to you. And somebody steals your identity and takes $10 out of that account. How many of you would be so mad that somebody took $10 out of your account? You're like, you know what? Just take it all. If I can't have $86,400 of free money, I don't want it. $86,390, if that's all I have left, take it all, right? Okay, so the illustration goes like this. You were given 86,400 seconds today. How many times do you allow something that happens 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 3 minutes, maybe even, maybe even for 15 minutes to come into your day, and, and take something from you in that moment, and you decide to sacrifice that entire day based on three or four or 10 seconds or 15 seconds or two minutes. How many times in your marriages has your spouse annoyed you in 10 minutes or five minutes or three seconds? Or they just said one word and it pissed you off, let's be honest. 
and you don't talk to them for four days. I mean, you probably should sign up for the marriage class because you need to grow up. I'm making a point. Yeah, it's a dumb one. You're losing time. How many times have you, with your kids, I can't tell, almost every day I have an opportunity to start a fight with one of my kids because I just can't let stuff go. Instead of just walking away and at work, oh, always have the opportunity to let the entire day get messed up based on one conversation or one look or one whatever. How many times do you allow something that happened in an instant steal the, the miraculous, the day from you that you were given? You will always have an opportunity to get fixated in, in, in the Marys in the middle of a miracle. So let me just give you, let me give you two more thoughts, just two more thoughts. Number two, um, getting fixated on the Marys or the small things, whatever they are, leads you to being distracted from the best things. Getting fixated on the Marys, this is maybe common sense for you, leads you to living a distracted life, um, not focused on the best things, which is exactly what Jesus says in, in Luke 10, verse number 40. It says, uh, Martha was, uses the word, distracted. Now, she's distracted for all sorts of good reasons. She's getting stuff ready, right? She had to get stuff ready for Jesus. In the middle of that, she's also distracted by Mary annoying her. So she's, she says, Lord, tell Mary to stop being so annoying. Tell her to help me out. You ever have that prayer with God? I do that all the time. God, if you could just make everybody a better driver, I probably would be fine. Just make them stop being dumb, God. It's, if you could just make everybody, this is, this is, this, we don't pray this, but this is what we think. If you could just make everybody as smart as me, <laughs> then the world would be a better place, right? If they would drive like me, think like me, answer like me, give looks like me, have a personality like me, right? We'd be fine. But the problem is everybody's different. Everybody has different ideas, different answers, different personalities. And so because of that, we get in fights. And the truth is, is, is Satan is using it to just distract us from the really important things in life. You can have this whole life in front of you, all these blessings, the miraculous, and because you're focused on something you shouldn't be focused on, you're missing it all. Um, you remember years ago when um, cameras were out, older people, and you used to have to take a picture, take the film to CVS, Walmart, wherever you went, and wait to get the picture to develop to see if it's actually a good picture. You guys remember that? Okay, then they invented digital cameras, remember that, total game changer? And then they invented iPhones and digital cameras became obsolete. But there was a time, young people, hear me out, um, that you would have a camera, it didn't have a little screen in it, you didn't know what it looked like, and you would say, on the count of three, smile, you take a picture, have no idea if it looks good, right? Okay, so when I got married, that was what was out. No iPhones, my phone, the best I had on my phone was Snake, I used to play Snake to pass time, right? No flip phones, no nothing. It was a Nokia, looked like a battery, right? And so, and camera. So we, we got married in 2002, and all of my friends from Bible college also got married all around the same time. So we all went on honeymoons. A lot of us ended up going to Mexico, to Cancun. Um, and so one of my friends, one of my good friends, Adam and Chrissy, they got married about two months before me. And they were actually the first friends to get married from Bible college. And they went to Cancun. They lived about a mile away from us. So when they got back, they said, come over. We're going we're gonna to get these pictures developed. And you, we, can, we can look at our, look at pictures from our honeymoon. And I was like, I was great. Because at that time, you didn't take a picture 16 times, upload it to Facebook, come back and see who liked it. Like you had to invite people to your house and talk to them. 
and then you would look at pictures together, and then when you went home, you could talk about them, right? And so, like, and so, so we came over to their house, true story, we started looking at their pictures. Now, if you've ever been to Mexico or Cancun or somewhere like that, people from all over the world go there. And all over the world has different forms of acceptable swimwear, right? Some of it is optional. Speedos are encouraged in some parts of the world. And in America, they are never to be worn. I'm just telling you. And so, and so we're looking at pictures. And this is one picture. It's this beautiful setting. It's, it's a beach. It's, it's kind of it's sun setting. It's him and his wife. They're all sun-kissed. And they're on their honeymoon. And they're, they're excited. And, and, and all the set, setting's going on. And then off in the back, off in the back in the picture, as we're looking at these pictures of their, their honeymoon, is this picture. It's kind of blurry because it's 2002. Stuff's not in high def anymore. It's kind of blurry. There's this little image of this person. We still to this day don't know if it was a male or female. European guy or girl that was wearing a Speedo or the bottom of a bikini and no top. We didn't know because the person was a little more robust and so you just... You just couldn't put a finger on what this person was. But for the rest of their life, anytime that we talked about their honeymoon, we never talked about Cancun and how beautiful it was. We always talked about the person in one of the pictures. And every time they shared, I was like, hey, you ever see that picture Adam and Christy have? You get the picture out, right? Friends would come over, new people. Hey, it's good to meet you. I'm Steve. This is Adam. Welcome to the club. Hey, get that picture out, right? And this, some of you like, that's really rude. No, it was amazingly funny and so that it happened to them right so when I when I went to Cancun I was on the lookout right because that was not and so beautiful setting the miraculous they're focused on the wrong thing and I'm this happens all Martha beautiful setting beautiful opportunity and she's focused on the wrong thing she's missing it and here's how I know that I struggle with this let me just maybe you can find yourself in this being focused on the wrong thing here's three areas that I that I know that that prove to me that I struggle with focusing on the wrong thing first one is I'm an expert it comes natural I can teach you how I love to complain I I I, it don't no effort for me I just it just comes out I can complain right now if I wanted to I love to complain I mean here I'm constantly worried about the wrong things, always worried about the wrong things, and I'm constantly being offended by stupid things. I'm offended, I'm worried, and and I complain all the time, which are three things the Bible says never do. The Bible says in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There is no before like small print, well here's the things you shouldn't complain about. What's the word it uses? Everybody see it? Do what? What does it say? Tell me again. Okay. Does that leave the option of anything in your life that you can complain about? It doesn't, it doesn't say, well, here's some areas that Jesus, you know, he vented about. When he was having a bad day, he would complain. No, it's like, do everything in your life. I, get, I promise you that it would be very hard for you to go through the whole week without complaining. I can't even get through Sunday without complaining. Do everything without complaining. Luke 12 says, Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Who of you by worrying, and Proverbs 19 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In other words, let me just, maybe you should write these down somewhere. Complaining is draining, worry is a waste, 
an offense is your expense. Let me tell you again. Complaining is an absolute drain. Criticizing, finding fault, looking at the dark side of things, figuring out what's wrong everywhere, that is not your spiritual gift. I know because I've asked for it. Because I'm good at it. Complaining is draining, worry is a waste, and offense is your expense. One person said, don't risk changing small, inconvenient experiences into life-changing negative experiences. Number three, last one. Here's, here's what we're bringing in for a landing. Here's what I've been trying to do this week, like try, trying to do it. And so um, the next time you're tempted to make a big deal over a small thing, ask yourself this question. You ready? It's a game changer. Will this matter a year from now? The next time, as you're about to blow your lid, ask yourself, is this going to matter for a year from now? Now, let's take it one step further. I'll give a little, little point three A. Here's, here's another way of saying it. If you're not going to talk about something during the last hour of your life, then don't make it a top priority during your lifetime. I like that one even better. If you're not going to talk, and let me just, I've been, it's part of my job is to be around death. I've been um, a few times around people who are dying, taking their last breath. And there's not been one time they said, hey, I got to tell you about that time this, I sat in traffic in 1988. I gotta tell you about that person that I worked in business with that just irritated me, that chewed really loud. Let me tell you about my washing machine that I had in 1973. It broke, end of story. You know how that ruins your day. They talk about things that they love, they talk about people that they love, they focus on things that are eternal, not temporary. So I've been trying to do it, right? Is the thing I'm mad about right now, am I even going to think about it in a year? So what a great question for Martha, right? Like Jesus tries to say, you're worried about many things, you're missing the main thing. In many years from now, you are not going to be talking about how angry you were at your sister in that moment. She wasn't helping. What you're going to be talking about is you hosted God in your house. You got to have a meal with Jesus. Sometime later, your brother died. He was sick. He was placed in a tomb. Jesus was late. You asked him to come back because you had a relationship. He showed up. He called, he called G, uh, Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus came hopping out of the tomb. He came back from the dead. You're going to be sitting around having Thanksgivings, talking about Lazarus' experience with death and coming back. You're not going to be talking about Mar Mary getting mad. Oh, Mary did this. Mary did that. And I just... I, I have spent too much of my life, if I'm honest with you, too much focused on things that in 50 years just not going to matter. My coffee spilling in my car. You know what? My Wawa coffee spilled all over my car. Guess what I got yesterday? Another Wawa coffee because I, gospel, gave grace, mercies are new every morning, right? And this one didn't spill and it was fine. And literally, I'm like, I, I, I almost lost my salvation over a coffee cup. And I, I just want to encourage you, evaluate your life. I like what he says. He says, listen, you're worried about everything, but only a few things are needed and only one. We'll talk about focusing on the right things. But I'll end with, with this illustration of my own life because I, I, I started thinking, man, there's been so many times where I've let moments like this steal from me things that were more important. And so... Anybody ever been to Colorado here? 
you've been to Colorado, put your hand up. Colorado, it's like if you've never been to, to out there, you'll be like, I went to the Poconos. That's garbage. I'm just telling you, it's, it's not the same. Not even close. Like, he, I'm not an outdoorsman, and when I went there, I almost became a hunter. That's just what happened. Like, I was like, I got to hunt. I just fell in love with it, like in, in a way that you wouldn't, you wouldn't imagine. In fact, I fell in love with it so much. I asked the Lord. I said, listen, maybe I haven't heard you. But if you want to call me out to Colorado, I'll go, right? If you can use anybody, you can use me there. And so uh, he didn't say, he didn't answer. And so I'm here still. And so I went to Colorado and I spent a week there with my, with my family. My, my brother and sister-in-law live there. live in a place called uh, Winter Park, which is a ski resort. We went in June and uh, still snow in the mountains, like cold enough where you would wear hoodies, sometimes shorts, but just a beautiful, like salt, salt moose. I've told you about this before. It, like it was just a, it was an awe-inspiring moment. Like I would find myself drinking my coffee, looking at the mountain thinking, there has to be a God. Like there has to be a God. And then all the verses that say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, I'll move a mountain. I'm like, you'll move that? And I'm worried about all this other stuff? Like, I just, okay, God. And like, it just, it just hit me, right? And so uh, one of the last days I was there, my sister-in-law works at the resort. And so when you work at the resort, you get cheap prices, cheap admission into the resort to do things. And so in June, they open the resort back up, but not for skiing. They have all sorts of family activities. They have a, a slalom uh, uh, ride. You can go up in the gondola, which is just a big lift, and take you up to the top of the mountain, look around. Like, it's just beautiful restaurants, a um, little mall there. So we went there, uh, paid a few bucks and got into this place, did the slides, did the gondola, came back down. And at the foot of the mountain, they had a putt-putt course. Now I've putt-putted at Ocean City, Maryland, Ocean City, New Jersey, Delaware beaches, Myrtle Beach, Waltzes, you know what I'm talking about, Waltzes, um, Phoenixville. I've putted all over, putt-putted all over the world. But I have never, ever putt-putted at the bottom of the Rocky Mountains at Winter Park. It was amazing. My wife sat down, she didn't want to play, and so um, she sat with her sister. I took my three boys, started putt-putt, and tried to have this amazing moment with them. We're gonna putt-putt. It starts off, when you take any, them to do anything, it's always fights. We get to the place you're supposed to get your balls, and they're fighting over what balls they're gonna get. I want that one, I want that one. I'm like, dude, just pick a ball, right? We're gonna go play putt-putt at the bottom of the Rocky Mountains in Winter Park, this is gonna be amazing. We are never gonna forget this again. Start putt-putting, they're fighting, making a scene, knocking each other's balls off. And, and I should have remembered my dad, he was here first service. He used to always say to me, um, you reap what you sow. He used to tell me that. And you always reap more than you sow. And he said, someday I'm going to laugh when you get paid back for all the crap you put me through. And I should have remembered that because I know how, how much of a pain in the butt that I was. And how many times my dad gave me grace. And so we're, we're having this putt-putt thing. And finally, I just, I just lost it. We're at like hole number six. We have 18 holes. I'm like, enough! I was like, pick your balls up, put them away, and go sit by your mom. And I finished the course by myself. Just <laughs> my, 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 my nieces and nephews played with us, but my kids were, were gone. And I just thought to myself as I did this sermon, what an idiot I was. I lost a moment at the base of the Rocky Mountains in Winter Park, putt-putting with my boys who were 15, 13, and 9 because I sweat the small things. Instead of just saying, you're acting like idiots, but I was also an idiot. Let's talk about how we're not supposed to be idiots, and then let's play and let me beat you in this so you can tell your kids how awesome I am at putt-putt, right? And I just, you know how many times I was talking to somebody, they were walking out there like, hey, uh, 
That happened to us too. We were going to a vacation, four kids, and I still remember. She's a old, she was a little she's a little older. She said, I still remember uh, we were driving to vacation, and we were misbehaving in the back of the car. My dad turned the car around and says, "We're not going on vacation." That's old school parenting right there. 1980 parent just pulled the car over and just start wow hitting you right. Right now, parents they want to talk right and get on your level, and so I don't know if it's better or not. But old school parents said, I'm just turning. And she said, I still remember that. I think that proving a point, missing a moment. And I just, I just think to myself, how, how many times, how many times have I allowed the small stuff in my life to steal from me the best moments? How many times have I been focused on a Mary instead of missing the miraculous? Life right now for you, this right here, this is a miracle. Your marriage is a miracle. Some of you right now, you're not talking to your spouse. You came in here mad because you got in a fight and you are really convicted. Right? And I'll just say, good. Like, before, before we close here, look at your spouse and say, we're done fighting. We're not even going to have a conversation about it. We're done fighting. I'm sorry. You're right. Whatever it is, talk to you. You're right. I'm wrong. Let's move on with our day. Let's not waste a day. We're never getting this day back again. Let's go do something. Let's go, let's go enjoy life. Let's go spend some money today. Let's go have lunch. Let's eat, eat, eat the cake, man. Let's go do something. Let's not focus on the, on the small stuff and let it take us away from the big stuff. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? And would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I just want you, I want you to, maybe some of you, you're real good at this. Like, I know some of you, I've met some of you, you're, I already know, man, you're like chill as can be. I get it. And I appreciate it. So some of you, you're, 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 this, is, this is a gift that you have. But some of us, like me, like you're just like, nah, man, I'm not good at that. I have no chill in me. Stuff ruins my day. Um, stuff changes me. I, I'm affected by the outside. In that book, he talks about how um, one of the greatest breakthroughs in life is when you realize that life is like an automobile. And an automobile is controlled from the inside, not the outside. You, you're in control. So listen. Nobody can shift this part of your life except for you. The Holy Spirit will give you the power. You submit yourself to him. You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You stop focusing so much on the temporary or what is seen, and you fix your eyes on what is unseen and eternal. But nobody can do that for you except for you. Here's what you can't pray. I've I've tried it. God, would you fix everything around me? God, would you, would, you, would you help me, God, to not have interactions with people that are going to annoy me today? God, God, God would, you, would you help everything to work out in my favor? God, you, 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 I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. God, would you bless me today and would you highly favor me? And then God allows things to come into my life. I'm like, God, did you listen? And I think sometimes it's God going, I'm not going to teach you this because if I don't teach you this, you're going to struggle in this area for the rest of your life. What a waste of a life. What a waste of a life. What a waste of the miraculous. Every day you get is a day you're never going to get back. So decide before the day starts if I want to give away any of it to something that's not going to matter at the end of my life. So maybe you're like me and you can start practically asking yourself this question. Am I going to think about this in a month? If not, I probably shouldn't even give it any thought. And maybe as you begin to go over that and you fix your eyes on Jesus, that all of a sudden your week begins to change, your attitude begins to change, your habits begin to change, your personality begins to change. Um, You're not a finished product. You need to understand that. You are a work in progress. 
And the more, the more submission that you give to the work of the Holy Spirit, the more that he will work in and through your life. And so for some of you, it's just saying, yes, Holy Spirit, work in my life. I'm going to look myself in a spiritual mirror today, and I'm going to realize that I'm not as good as I think I am. I don't have it all figured out. There's areas of my life where I still need to work. This is not that big of a deal. I'm not going to sweat the small things. Maybe, maybe you have that time right here. God, would you, would you, would you speak to me? Um, God, would you reveal where I need to work? God, would you, would you strengthen me where I'm weak? God, would you calm me when I'm anxious? Um, God, when I start to lean back into these old habits in my life, God, would you, would you bring me back to this word? Your word is full of life. God, would you bring me back to your word? God, would it be alive and active in my spirit, sharper than a double-edged sword? God, would you do that in my life? There's peace, there's freedom, there's joy. It's found in Christ. Give up control. So maybe for some of you, um, that, that's the very first step. When I say give up control, that's what a relationship with God is. You, you can't do life on your own anymore. Like you've come to the end of yourself. You've tried everything and it's failed. You've searched everywhere. So I'm trying to tell my boys right now. Look around. People are searching. Uh, they're seeking. They're trying to find things, yet they never find what they're actually looking for because what they're actually looking for is a relationship with God. But you don't have to find God. God came to you through his son, Jesus Christ. He pursues you. Some of you don't even see it, but it is a miracle that you're at church today. He's been pursuing you. It's a miracle that you had an interaction or your life intersected with that person that invited you to church today, that was the work of a miracle. The fact that some of you are still alive, you overdosed, your life was falling apart. They wrote you off is the work of the miraculous, a God that continues to pursue you. And he's knocking at the door of your heart, the Bible says. If you would say yes, he would come in. I want you to understand the gospel as we get ready to pray. But the Bible teaches us the gospel. Religion says... Um, here's God, you work to God. The gospel says God came to you. Here's why he came to you. The Bible says that everyone's a sinner and falls short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Bible lets us know that the way we start a relationship with him is we call on him and he'll save us. And we do that verbally, by faith, with our heart and our head. The Bible says if you confess God as your Lord and Savior and you believe in your heart that Jesus, that he came and he died and he was placed in a tomb and he rose in power and you put your faith in your confession in that message, the Bible says you will be saved. Not a class you join, not a church you go to. It's the gospel that you receive. It's a free gift and it's here right now. And this is where it starts. You don't start here. Nothing else matters in your life. I'm going to start right here. I'm going to give my life to God through Jesus Christ from this day forward. I'm going to let him be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to give him everything. That's where it starts. And so if you're in this place as we close and you don't know the Lord, you haven't have a relationship with him, um, 
that this time, this, this moment, this hour, it has done something in your spirit. It's opened up your eyes. Some of you, um, you could feel the presence of God from the moment that you got here today. It's felt like he was knocking. It's felt like he was drawing you in. The Bible says that's exactly what he does. When we lift up the name of Jesus, he will draw men and women to himself. And he is here right now. And the Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he would meet you, he would save you, he would heal you, and he would make you whole. So with every head bowed and every eye closed here in Montgomeryville, before we talk about anything else in life, life begins with Jesus. It says he gives you life and life to the full. So Jesus, today I make the decision to say yes to you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I need to say yes to God in this 930 service, the second Sunday of January 2024. I'm not going one more step trying to do this on my own. Today is the day I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. All over this place, head bowed and eyes closed. You would say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. Would you do me a favor? Nobody's paying attention to you. Everybody else got their own stuff. You just heard the pastor has all sorts of stuff to work on. This is not a moment to judge you. This is the moment to celebrate with you, and I want you to remember this moment. So I want you to do something all over our houses, if that's you, in faith and in courage. Jesus Christ, today you're going to be my Lord and Savior. Would you just place your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I want Jesus Christ to heal me. I want him to forgive me. I want him to make me whole. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I want him to make me whole. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high all over this place? As a church, as a church, would you pray with me for those responding in Montgomeryville, responding online, for those that raised their hand, and maybe you didn't raise your hand, but let's pray together. Say, Jesus Christ, today I give you everything. From this day forward, I put my entire life in your hands. Jesus, thank you for loving me before I even knew you. And so from this day forward, I'm going to be a brand new person because of you, Jesus. I'm healed. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, and I'm whole. And Lord, as we celebrate that all over this house, as we close this time, Lord, would you, would you do a deep Holy Spirit work in our lives? Some of us, it's just starting. We're going to go home, and we're going to look in a real mirror. We're going to look, at, and we're going to see ourselves, and we're going to realize, man, we have a lot of changes to make. Some of, some of us, you've just spoken so directly to us. Lord, uh, but Lord, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. That's one of the biggest mistakes that church people make. You hear the word and you never move on it. The power of the word comes from obedience. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help all of us that struggle in this area to evaluate, to shift where we need to shift, to make changes, to be obedient, uh, to be open to your word, maybe even to be open to the words of those that love us. Maybe some of us have so much courage in our lives right now, we have so much desire to change that we actually go to somebody that we love and we confess our sin in this area and we listen to correction and our life will be changed. Lord, thank you in advance for what you're doing, for how you're continuing to mature and strengthen and shift our outlook in this church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything that you've done here today. In Jesus' name we pray. All over this house, would you shout amen? Clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.